It's May 27th, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa. First, we'll cover a couple of science and tech stories. Then we'll have a couple of news guests. Melly James from HVCA will join us to tell us about tomorrow's HVCA luncheon. Then Sharma Farnsworth from Blue Stars will let us know about the next Startup Paradise Demo Day. And finally, we'll talk to Jonas uh, Vibel from the Energy Accelerator and a few... A few of the winners from the Reboot the Commute app challenge. It's a capacity crowd on today's show. Have your questions and thoughts ready to call in or tweet, but first, the headlines. While admitting that Hawaii has in many ways failed the mountain, Governor David Ige yesterday announced that he believes that the 30-meter telescope project has the right to proceed with construction and the state will support and enforce its right to do so. He also called on the University of Hawaii and the State Department of Land and Natural Resources to work with the new Mauna Kea Cultural Council to change the management of the entire summit to bring cultural voices into the leadership structure. Governor Ige also laid out 10 steps that he believes UH needs to take to enhance its stewardship of the summit of Mauna Kea, including returning control of more than 10,000 acres not needed for astronomy back to the state and decommissioning several existing telescopes. Specifically, he wants to see 25% of all current telescopes gone by the time TMT is fully operational. With 13 telescopes there today, one of which is already being dismantled, that means at least three more would need to be gone by TMT's first light operations, which is scheduled for the year 2021. The governor also asked for the environmental impact study process to be restarted with a full cultural impact assessment, more rules and conditions on assessing the mountain for non-cultural purposes, and revisiting the issue of lease rents charged to the facilities in place. The governor said he supports the right to peaceful uh, protests uh, for the projects and that the state will act to ensure public safety and the right to use our roads for lawful purposes. TMT opponents have said that Ige's announcements will not change their plans to remain on the mountain, even at me if it means more arrest. Now, of course, uh, you know this has been kind of a, a long-awaited announcement, and uh, it, it's obviously a, a compromise that arrived. You know, with both parties, I think, in mind. I would say with both parties in mind, I think that participation is hard to assess because it's not a unilateral, you know, single um, entity mm-hmm. in opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a very spirited conversation already, and I'm sure it's not uh, not uh, not uncommon throughout Hawaii. Uh, it's difficult to compromise with uh, if there's no room for compromise from, from one or another perspective. Well, I, and the other thing that's new uh, in this announcement is the idea that 25% of the current telescopes are going to be basically decommissioned and removed by the time TMT is Well, that's is the expectation, right. and I think, uh, at least from the news articles that I read, some of those other operators weren't prepared to have a response to that particular element of the proposal. So it'll definitely be interesting. Of course, there is a court challenge to the project, and uh, Governor Ige said he'll abide by it. Um, it'll be interesting to see um, when construction proceeds, how that will work. I, I think that... Uh, uh, you know, the concerns about how it will be mm-hmm. received and how it will be depicted in the media is certainly something. Of well, definitely something we're going to watch and uh, with uh, a very focused eye. Absolutely. Well, a Hawaii-based company this week uh, accused virtual reality company Oculus of building a virtual reality hardware company with information stolen from its own research and development. Oculus was acquired by Facebook last year for $2 billion. The lawsuit was filed on Wednesday, I'm sorry, that was last week, on behalf of Ron Igra and Thomas Seidel from Haiku on Maui. The two partnered to form Total Recall Development in Hawaii in 2010, the suit says, with the aim of developing immersive 3D technology, including cameras and head-mounted displays. 
The Maui founders say they met Oculus founder Palmer Lucky in December 2010 and by the summer of 2011 engaged him to build a prototype for them. Uh, They said that Lucky signed a non-disclosure exclusivity and payments agreement and delivered the prototype uh, hardware in August. But in 2012, the lawsuit reads, Lucky took the information he learned from the partnership as well as the prototype that he built for the uh, the uh, Total Recall Group uh, using design features and other confidential information and materials supplied by the partnership and passed it off to the others as his own. Specifically, Lucky launched a Kickstarter campaign to crowdfund a highly immersive wide field of view stereoscopic head-mounted display at an affordable price, which he called Oculus Rift. As the tech world knows, that Kickstarter campaign raised over $2.4 million from 9,500 backers, nearly 10 times its goal, and the startup only got as far as releasing advanced versions of its hardware for developers before being acquired by Facebook for $2 billion. This lawsuit comes two weeks after Oculus finally announced that its consumer hardware would be released early next year. Now, interesting, I mean, I've been seeing some of this uh, talked about in the in the uh, tech press, but not too much in the local media. Well, it was in a blog written by a local nerd. Well, it's on a radio show by a couple of local nerds. Absolutely. Well, it's an interesting case, and there's it's the, now the second lawsuit against Oculus. There's a Texas company that says that they helped him with a prototype that he brought to them mm-hmm. in 2012, and he, they helped him make it better, and then he turned around and did the Kickstarter. Kickstarter. What I want to know is if the Texas uh, company, if the prototype that Lucky brought to them, how much it might resemble the prototype that Lucky built, right, allegedly then, built for to, uh, I'm curious to see if the uh, the Total Recall patent that uh, was recently awarded has any, uh, let's say, connections with the Oculus Rift? Well, it certainly had some weight to their cause. It was requested in 2011, long before Oculus launched. But the other thing is that, th- at least at that point, Total Recall development was trying to find a way to replicate real-world environments in a VR environment. Mm-hmm. Widescreen was part of it, mm-hmm. but I would say that you know, if you talk to L- Palmer Lucky, he says this is a gaming rig, not a way to uh, replicate the real world. But we're definitely going to keep an eye on this case. Yes, very exciting. But now... Joining us is Mele James from the Hawaii Venture Capital Association, and he's, she's here to tell us about the upcoming May luncheon, and it's called the State of Venture Capital in Hawaii. Welcome to the show, Mele. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Ryan. So what is, well, maybe you should hold off on answering that question, but can you characterize what the state of venture capital is in Hawaii? <laughs> That's a really loaded question, Bert. <laughs> No, but, it, you know, it, to it, find it, out, you need to come to the luncheon right, tomorrow. I see, but right. this is an annual event for this organization. This right? is. We normally do this event in April, but we decided to do it in May. And that's typically because a lot of the reporting comes out after Q1 mm-hmm. for the for the previous year. Mm-hmm. So um, Tim Dick, actually, a lot of this information comes from the National Associ- National Venture Capital Association mm-hmm. and VCA. And so these reports are out, and Tim's going to do a nice synopsis. Um, for us at the beginning of the luncheon. So okay. he's going to be in part taking what the national scene is for the venture capital industry or sector. Um, but I imagine he's going to try to draw parallels or maybe even make projections for what it might mean for Hawaii's venture capital community. Absolutely. So he's already made some pretty bold statements so far. Mm. One being the great disconnect, the large and growing uh, disconnect between what tech angels and the VC community are investing in. So he believes that this information is very important for startups who are looking to get funding past um, uh, angel angel funding. So, so Tim Tim is going to probably take us take a stand in, in terms of this uh, this position that he's taking, and 
maybe get maybe open some eyes? I mean, is there some? I hope po- so. I, I certainly hope so. I would think that the the angels that are doing some of the early investing in Hawaii have some kind of conversation with the the venture guys. I mean, why do you think this gap might be? Uh, present. Well, I don't think it's necessarily a, a local thing. So I think it's just more looking at what's mm, going on nationally. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. this is absolutely not, you know, how, how this is happening in Hawaii or anything oh, like okay, that. So okay. he's looking at this from a national perspective. Okay. Now, Tim is with Startup Capital Ventures, I believe. Yeah. So he splits his time between California and Hawaii. So he'll have a nice perspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, who are the other members of this esteemed panel? So uh, sitting next to me, Shanoa Farnsworth. Oh, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's the uh, managing director for the Hawaii Angels, as well as Blue Startups Venture Accelerator. Mm-hmm. Then we also have Greg Gog from Ulupono. And we have Omar Sultan, who's managing partner at Sultan Ventures and Accelerate UH Venture Accelerator. And we also have David Mess, who happens to be in town. He's the co-founder and managing partner at ARC Venture Partners. And he is in town to pitch uh, for one of his portfolio companies in the Energy Accelerator mm. as part of Demo Day on Friday, which... We'll hear about shortly. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of activity going on. I mean, uh, do you think that uh, from a community standpoint, our venture capital, maybe our financial instruments are getting better, I guess, for the startup community here in Hawaii? I think there's there's more activity. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing there was a big announcement with Mbloom at the Mai Tai event um, last Two weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, so we are starting to see a lot more, a lot more activity. So that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Now, was there? Can you imagine there at this point being a theme? Um, you were at the last year's event, I would imagine, versus this year. I mean, uh, I'm always curious, just generally speaking, as someone who does, who is you know not fully uh, familiar with the vet startup or venture capital scene. Um, are we seeing progress? You said more activity uh, that can bring with it upsides and downsides. Is there any other general trends that you feel in your bones that uh, you might be able to bring up uh, at tomorrow's event? So we're seeing a lot more activity on the on the private side. So I know that um, public, on the public side, uh, there isn't as much activity. Um, hmm. One of the more recent bills was not passed for more venture funding through oh, the high right. growth initiative. Um, yeah, so I was going to ask you about that. Uh, so Yeah, that was <clears throat> something that was, I guess, funded t- two years ago. Uh, and I think they were looking for uh, additional funding. This is uh, Carl Fuchs and the Hawaii Strategic Development Corporation, yes. right? Additional funding for the accelerator. Yes, so I imagine that's going to be a topic that's raised tomorrow as well to mm-hmm. discuss. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, maybe we'll get that mystery guest that's coming on to comment on a bit about it. Well, but before we do that, <laughs> give us the details on tomorrow's State of Venture Capital event. All right. So it's tomorrow at the Plaza Club, 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. And the Plaza Club's at 900 Fort Street Mall mm-hmm. on the 21st floor. We're looking forward to seeing you. And you can buy a ticket at the door or in advance from hvca.org. Sounds good. Great. Thank you, Melly. Thanks, Melly. Thanks, Thanks, Bert. And, of course, now joining us is that mystery guest, Shanoa Farnsworth. And she's from Blue Startups. And she's here to tell us about Something else that's uh, coming up real quick, it's the Startup Paradise Demo Day. Welcome to the show, Shanoa. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so there is a lot of activity going on, and I think, uh, I know personally, more is better. I mean, you can't guarantee that everybody's going to turn into a great sort of liquidity event, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it's better to have more of them trying than not as many. (laughs) What is is, uh, uh, um, planned for this uh, upcoming Demo Day? Yeah, well, I do think this demo day will probably be our largest in terms of the number of pitches that oh. we're having. So 
all three uh, accelerators on Oahu are participating. So Accelerate UH, Blue Startups, and the Energy Accelerator. Mm-hmm. Together, the three of us will have 19 companies pitching. I do think that's our largest event wow. to date. And so I do think that indicates some critical mass building. And we've been talking about that for years, the need for critical mass mm-hmm. here. Like you said, whether every company is successful or not, we need a whole lot of companies to start and to grow and uh, to create that kind of, um, uh, you know, critical mass here so that talent comes to the to the state, so that capital comes to the state at all is uh, very important. Now, that was impressive. I mean, I blogged about it last night, and I saw the list, and I said, they must mean some of these companies are presenting tomorrow. All 19. 19. All 19. Oh, boy. And so each accelerator gets 15 minutes, and they got to divide it up about five to seven different companies. That's going to be... So fast moving. So well, no, we we have more than fifty. Oh, good. Sorry, I must have read the wrong information. You better go change it. Yeah, I think the whole event in total is three hours long. Oh, okay, okay. So that makes more sense. It's bring not, your coffee. Not we're we're going to serve dating. coffee. Gotcha, I think. Gotcha. Um, yeah. The other thing that I thought was interesting is that you know normally companies pitching and they're going to start up Debt Paradise Demo Day. There's one in January, and they're basically giving the same pitch they would give to potential investors or judges at a competition. But in this case. They're doing something a little different in terms of finding a way to select the winners of these presenters, something called investor dollars. So I think what what they're going to do actually is uh, they're going to use Live Sift, now called Meeting Sift. Meeting Sift, yes. Okay. Um, to select a quote-unquote winner from each accelerator. Um, so that's going to be kind of the gamification, if you mm. will, of uh, Demo Day, and everybody will be able to participate in the voting for that. Um, so it's kind of uh, electronic voting, but nonetheless, uh, audience engagement and participation mm-hmm. in in the whole uh, event. So, so it'll be fun. In terms of winning, will it just be based on the responses that uh, is provided by Meeting Sif? Yeah, it'll just be based on the audience. Um, so so it's a people's choice, people's event. choice <laughs> award. That's right, and I think the winner gets the pride of winning. Yay! Wow. A, a great Did blog they get post. Yeah, yeah, I know, but there's no actual prize. Yeah, sorry. No. So, so um, <clears throat> you know, in terms of uh, the format, I guess the previous demo days, um, there were like a select handful of people that were presenting, but now it's going to be like everybody is going to be on. So actually, it's exactly the same as oh, previous demo days. It's really just the uh, growth of all of you know these accelerators and the addition of Accelerate UH, mm-hmm. and this really being the first time that the stars have aligned and all three accelerators have a cohort graduating mm-hmm. at the same time. Oh, impressive. So it, it really is our normal process. It's the end of a cohort. just happens to be the end of a cohort for each of us. Got now, it. is there also um, going to be a counterpart event on the West Coast for this round, or is that not the case? So there will be for Blue Startups. I so see, Blue see. Startups companies will all be going uh, to Silicon Valley again and um, doing a demo day there at 500 Startups. So for uh, Blue Startups, what uh, what sorts of companies went through this uh, um, sort of cohort or, or mentoring period? Yes, yeah, so this cohort, we did have a focus on travel tech. Um, so we have three companies there that are just specifically in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, or, or four, depending on how you count them, one that's <laughs> doing a lot of different things, but a lot in the travel space. And um, in addition to that, our kind of usual fare of software and mobile apps um, in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Do you see do you see an, any other accelerators like let's say Emblem? Are they going to be starting their cohort and, and participating in a demo day uh, in the coming fu- uh, coming future? So Emblem's not an accelerator; it's a venture fund. So they will not be um, you know putting companies up for a demo day type mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Uh, environment. So I think we're pretty set as far as accelerators go in the state <laughs> right now. Say, I, I think, think we've got all our bases covered okay. uh, in a good way. Yeah. and um, you know now we're we're playing around the margins on both sides. So mm-hmm. pre-accelerator programs like Startup Weekend, which is coming up in June, mm-hmm. really important for all of us to to feed that pipeline. And then the you know early stage investors like Emblem and Startup Capital Ventures, and we need about ten more of those right. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> ideally. Stage. In the community, so those, you know, that's where we need to build out now is on on either side of that spectrum. Now we did talk briefly about Live Zift, which I know has been incorporated in a number of local tech events for that live feedback element of a conference or a meeting for uh, for companies and enterprise. That's one of their focuses uh, because I think they were participants in Blue Startups early on and then Accelerate UH. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the recent news just for that specific startup? So yeah, the news around. Uh, formerly known as Live Sift, mm-hmm. uh, Meeting Sift, <laughs> is um, that they have raised some uh, substantial capital, $800,000 in total, which is uh, a great start for them. They've actually hired their first um, folks outside of the founders of the company, um, which is also very exciting for them. Uh, they have now two staff people that are actually working on the mainland, uh, doing business development for the company. And they are focusing uh, new product development on kind of enterprise-level solutions as opposed to large audience engagement right. oh, solutions. Uh-huh. So more around uh, multi-site meetings and small company meetings, that sort of thing. Right, and I think anybody who's been in a meeting for a company <laughs> yeah. knows that there are many things that you could do to improve how well a meeting functions. I, I think that the Maybe meeting sift is moving into that's, that space. That's probably that's why right. they kind of change their name to be a, bit, a bit more uh, focused on what they're Going after, right? That's right. They they really see that that's the the opening in the market. Um, there are other solution providers for kind of the audience engagement mm-hmm. piece, um, although they do that very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they want to get are clients like uh, Microsoft and Google using this on multi sites for yeah, meetings. And some local companies have used it already. So mm-hmm. Startup Paradise Demo Day, you can use Live Sift. Uh, where is the event and how can someone... So the event's going to be at the YWCA this time around. So that'll be a first as well, the Richard Street Y. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, You can sign up on Eventbrite. Just search for Start a Paradise on Eventbrite. That's the easiest way to find it. Um, it will sell out if it hasn't already. It's going to be at capacity. So, um, so it sold out earlier today and then they opened up more tickets. So okay. it's going to be tight. It's, it's going to be tight. Um, it's a small space. We're going to have to find a bigger space next time. Sounds I good. I love it. Well, thanks, Noah, for joining us. And of course, that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Jonas Vibel. 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 <laughs> and of course, uh, we have a slew of uh, winners that we're going to also bring into the studio, Nico Hori and George Lee among them. And we're going to be talking about Reboot the Commute. Yeah, speaking of a crowded house, how can technology be used to help with growing traffic problems? Of course, we love your ideas as well. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or reach us na- from the neighbor islands toll-free at 877-941-3689. And of course, we're live here in the studio and we're monitoring Twitter. I'm at Bite Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. 
So we're on the highway speeding southward out of Tehran. From the deserts of Iran to the plains of North Dakota. This is a classic Main Street. I'm standing on Dakota Avenue. Every day, Morning Edition takes you to the news. We went to this rally in the southern city of Kandahar for candidate Abdullah. Take a journey with us. Start tomorrow with Morning Edition from NPR News. Weekday mornings from 5 to 8.30 on HPR One. If you haven't heard singer-songwriter Mary Anito, come and see what the world's already begun to discover. Saturday, June 6, in the Atherton studio, this Hoku winner will perform from her debut CD, Waking Up, the same album that jumped to number four in the official UK charts shortly after its release. It's Mary Anito live in HPR's Intimate Concert Hall, June 6 at 7.30 p.m. Reserve seats now at hprtickets.org or call 955-8821 during business hours. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital, Infinity of Honolulu, and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And uh, joining us today is Jonas Fabel and Nicole Horry and a number of others. We'll introduce them as we can. Uh, Jonas manages recruitment and application process for the Energy Accelerator and is an organizer of the recent app challenge, Reboot the Commute. And, of course, uh, Nicole works as a nuclear engineer over at the uh, Pearl Harbor Naval Shipyard and is an active participant in the local coding community. Her project, Real-Time Traffic Signs, won in the Data in Transportation category over at Reboot the Commute. But also we have... Go ahead. We have George Lee as well as Josh Weldon and Evelyn Pernin, also Pernia, Pernia, uh, winners, also winners of that competition. We're going to hear all about it. So uh, first of all, we want to welcome you all to the show. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Okay, now we're going to start with <clears throat> the basically the understanding of what is the Reboot the Commute. Where did that idea really get born out of? And um, I know it's it kind of started with Energy Accelerator. And so, Jonas, give us the, the, the sort of the beginnings of where Reboot the Commute came from. Absolutely. So we, we all know that uh, there's lots that can be done with traffic in Honolulu, and it's been hitting the headlines uh, a lot lately, it seems like. And uh, at the Energy Accelerator, we strongly agree with that. So uh, the Energy Accelerator is an uh, accelerator for innovative companies to deal with Hawaii's uh, energy problems. And uh, we have looked at things like uh, energy production and uh, the, the grid, but we're also very interested in transportation. So uh, this idea with Reboot the Commute came from there, and we wanted to bring together decision makers in town and uh, developers and people with ideas and let them come together in an event and uh, come up with great new innovative solutions for Honolulu that can be implemented well, you know, uh, I love hackathons, particularly civic hackathons. I mean, certainly hackathons to create the next big app that might be the next Snapchat to make billions of dollars. That could be cool, too. But civic hacking, where you're trying to, uh, to apply these same talents, young entrepreneurs, programmers, coders, designers, developers, to solve problems for the community, I think that's fantastic. The Energy Accelerator is focused on energy issues, big picture issues. But I was wondering if you can explain how you can get from, say, a, uh, an accelerator that looks at companies that are, say, trying to find a way to store 
unused energy in water heaters, which I think is pretty cool, to let's make traffic better. I mean, where do you see that intersection making sense? Absolutely. So uh, energy um, is, uh, of course, the, one of the big uh, drivers in transportation. So transportation is one of the areas uh, that uses up a lot of fossil fuels, for example, which we try to reduce the usage of. So uh, if we can change all angles of transportation, we'll be better off and uh, so will the environment be. So uh, the other thing, Jonas, was that uh, there was a, a warm-up event and then there were some folks that you brought in from the mainland. So give us a sense of who some of these experts were and, and who were uh, had a stake in, in this game. I know there was another company and, and what was their kind of role in this? Yeah, there were many, uh, many groups that had a stake in this. And uh, we had a warm-up event called the Reboot the Commute Warm-Up, very appropriately. And um, that uh, served um, to bring together decision makers. And um, to do that, we had invited uh, Beth Osborne and Eric Sundquist, who are uh, uh, big uh, names nationally in transportation. And... um, they uh, lay, set the scene, and um, we also had uh, were very lucky to have uh, uh, the CIO for Honolulu, Mark Wong, come along and offering up uh, pretty much any kind of data that uh, that we could list. He promised to provide us. Mm-hmm. So you know, in terms of. Uh you had a warm-up event, and then uh, there were the couple of guys that came in from, um, was it? Ah, yeah, so we had a couple of partners helping us mm-hmm. uh, organizing Reboot the Commute. So it was first Energy Accelerator and HTDC who organized it uh, f- from this side, and Department of Transportation helped us out. We also had uh, two uh, people from uh, something called Vinley Connected mm-hmm. Car who flew in from Texas. They are experts at organizing uh, transportation-related hackathons. And, um, yeah, we're a big part of... uh, That's what I want to hear a little bit more about is that, you know, sort of that transportation hackathon. So uh, I wanted to hear about some of the startups that won. And one of the things that I think is exciting, and I think it was a good time for the Reboot the Commute, was that there are more moving pieces that are available to play with for developers. You know, before you might be talking about, let's hack the bus uh, API for the bus system. And, okay, maybe you can throw Uber into the mix. They've been around for a while. But now we're at the point, we're at the cusp of seeing bike sharing. We're at the cusp of seeing car sharing, car to go, bike share Hawaii. We're seeing various ways of communities organizing, for example, even the Department of Transportation has its van pool. That's been going for, for over a de- for years and years now. So let's start with Nicole. Uh, before we t- hear about your innovative solution, um, how, how did you feel about attack, attacking this specific area of transportation? Because you had actually worked on this problem before. Yes, I think it's so important, especially when we've seen how things like the Zipmobile going down can just, you know, snarl oh people's lives and evenings. And, um And so it's exciting to think about saving energy, but uh, for me, a lot of it's also just saving people time and helping people figure out the most efficient way to go about their day and get get to their destination. Um, And I know a lot of people here are on the app and website side, but actually, uh, I'm really interested in doing hardware. Mm. So that was something that... um, yeah, you know, I feel like it was a little out of the box to propose, but uh, when we're dealing with transportation, a lot of that is, you know, it's very physical. It's the world around us. And what I'd like to do is uh, 
have better signs on the freeways to show people what the traffic conditions are ahead. We know the data is out there. There's, you know, you just go to Google Maps and look at the traffic. Uh, the city also has radar data, so hmm. there's a lot of options to go with from that. And um, if we can make it easier for people to access that without having to, you know, refer to their phones, hopefully more people will, you know, choose a better route. And I know that the, at a past hackathon, um, you had actually built a prototype of it. It looks like a freeway <laughs> sign with LED lights on it. And I like how you said that transportation, we will talk about innovative apps, but the physicality of it is something I've always been obsessed with from watching the rail over, uh, flyover being built and the cantilevered weight system they're doing that, that still scares me as I drive from Mililani every day, um, to I've been watching the way the State Department of Transportation has been continuously trying to fix the signage at the split off from H201 to H1 because it still confuses tourists as well as locals as to where it goes. So signage mm -hmm. is key. So describe for us this sign that you designed. I mean, you talked about Google Maps. Are you basically projecting Google Maps and red lines on a sign? <laughs> well, hopefully it's not always red. I know there's <laughs> a lot of the time during the day it will be. But the idea is that where there's a fork in the road and you have a choice to make, let's say you're uh, just arrived and you're heading from the airport into town, you have a decision to make. Are you going to go off toward Nimitz? Are you going to take Dillingham? Are you going to take H1? Um, this is you know, something that I drive past every day. So it would be really nice in that case if I could see, hey, you know, Nimitz is wide open. It'd be a good day to stop and, you know, go to Costco or Home Depot <laughs> or, oh, H1 is free. You know, I might as well just take that route. There's a, there's a decision that's always being made to when you're going uh, west uh, at around, I don't know, 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon and you have to decide whether you want to go on the H, uh, H1 airport viaduct or you want to go on Moanola Freeway <clears throat> and, um and then, of course, you know the only decision that or the only information that you have at your disposal is maybe what's being said on the radio or perhaps uh, uh, I don't know if you want to glance at your Google Maps <laughs> and see what the choice <laughs> or is. Your ways, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but that I think that would be a great uh, a great benefit if you had a sign up there. Now, in terms of the the data that you would be able to use to uh, populate your sign. Is that data currently available? And if it's not, where would you go about getting it? Well, um, when I was talking about it during my presentation, I mentioned the possibility of getting it from Google because Google does allow developers to pull down data for free um, up to, I think, 24,000 times a day, 25,000 times a day. So you could do a lot with that kind of um, data that you know you don't even have to talk to them about paying for at that level. Mm -hmm. uh, but then the city also has our own sources of data. So if we can use something that maybe we have a little more control over and, um, you know, is data that the city and the state owns, mm -hmm. that could be a really good option too. And that's something that was actually just mentioned to me during the Q&A of my presentation. So it was wonderful to be at the hackathon and have that kind of interaction mm -hmm. from people who are so mm -hmm. informed and know you know, about all the data that's out there that is available that I might not have known to look for on my own. Mm -hmm. So um, let's move on to, uh, I think, an app solution. We have uh, Josh and Evelyn here, and they were working on a solution for bike sharing. Now, bike sharing, I, I was just in Washington, D.C., and I loved what I saw, just racks of bikes at, at major intersections where you could pick one up and go bike somewhere and drop it off there. And that's something that's coming 
to Hawaii. I think it's uh, Ben Trevino is involved with Bike Share Hawaii, and it's going to be deployed soon. But a lot of the, when I thought about Bike Share Hawaii, it has an app. There is an app already to get me a bike and tell me where to pick it up and drop it off. Uh, Josh, can you tell us what your uh, addition to this ecosystem of transportation op- uh, options was supposed to do? Yes, thank you. So we were working with Ben during out, during the whole uh, hackathon, actually. He was there basically uh, holding our hand, giving us direction, really coaching us along. So we must thank him for, uh, for helping us develop this idea. And while we were there, we asked him, well, what kind of problems do you have? He said the major problem that not only will Honolulu have, but many cities who have implemented the bike share have been having is that when someone rents a bike from point A and takes it to point B, and if it continues to happen throughout the day and there becomes an uneven distribution of bikes, that creates a problem because some bike racks will be empty and can't be utilized while others will be overflown. Mm -hmm. So me and Evelyn, we sat back and we said, how can we fix this problem? And RA was working on an app that uh, was kind of like a Groupon app, but uh, it was going to take it a little bit of a step further, my own twist on it. So I said, why don't we try the same thing, but use kind of a Groupon-like vibe to create a natural incentive for c- customers to take bikes from that point B location that is overflown to p- back to point A. And uh, basically how it works is um, local businesses can uh, register on the app. Uh, set their when they set their location, the app will actually tell you which um, bike route or bike rack that you're near. And when when there's the uneven distribution, their deal will pop up, and then people will see the deal. And if they're near other racks that are overflown, they maybe get a notification that says, "Hey, by the way, there's a deal over here. If you take this bike from point A to point B, you'll get a deal, like a free movie ticket or a burger or anything else." So we thought it was a really good solution. That's great. Now, um, would you, I guess if you're kind of building in this uh, benefit that uh, takes place, how would you be kind of in touch with some of these retailers or commercial providers to make sure that they have some offering that's part of the, you know, part of the deal? Evelyn, I mean, what part, what part were you playing kind of in this, uh, in this uh, creation of getting something special by moving your bike from point A to point B? Well, obviously, just like with the Groupon app, businesses are then they become more like what's the what's the word? They become more popular, right? Mm-hmm. So they get more business. So it's a win-win for everyone, in the sense that not only does Bike Share get an even distribution of bikes, but those businesses that are generally local businesses will get more people, and it'll encourage local businesses in Hawaii to be more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, <clears throat> another thing I wanted to point out, both uh, Evelyn and and Josh. I mean, you guys are kind of special because you're both students at the University of Hawaii in the ICS. Well, you're in the math math department? Um, Josh is in the math department. Oh, de- Josh is in the math department. Math and science. I mean, math and computer science. And, and I, Evelyn, what, what department are you in? I'm currently in computer science. Okay, cool. So... Uh, from a, um, did you find any any disadvantage, you know, competing against these professionals that are across <laughs> the room here? Or, or was it kind of an even playing field? Well, well at first we were like incredibly... Um, intimidating. Intimidating, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. I know. Look at that Nicole and George. I mean, yeah. it's kind of intimidating. 
We ended up coding so much because we thought we were always behind. Yeah. So we were coding all night. So it was 24 hours. We weren't allowed to sleep, and we were never allowed to stop coding either. Well, I mean, you're but allowed to sleep. It wasn't like anyone we, was pushing us, but we were pushing each other not to go to sleep. So I was like, you better not sleep. <laughs> I better not sleep. And we just kept going. I was like, they're doing something over there. We got to keep going. They're so. doing something. And of course, what they're actually doing is playing Minecraft. But it's not going to be to keep you motivated. Yeah. Absolutely. So by the time we finished, the whole back end and the whole front end's done. It's a working app. And I think a lot of people are actually impressed by that. But the whole reason we actually did that is because we thought we were behind the whole time. Now, you know, I like the solution, the problem you're trying to solve. I mean, there's also a car sharing company coming, Car2Go, and they and they would have the same issue, repositioning of vehicles because everybody wants to go in one direction. Then soon they're all, all the cars or all the bikes are clustered in an area. Was this something that, uh, that Ben proposed to you uh, and you said this is the solution or did, has anyone in any of these other cities where this is a problem come up with a similar solution or are they still paying people to get on these bikes or cars and moving them back? So to our knowledge, this is a, a unique solution. Hopefully it is still unique. Um, but uh, actually when we introduced it to Ben, he was extremely happy. He was super excited and he's like, this is the solution that every city has been waiting for and he, he really pushed us to do it. We were also going to do price variations. Okay, if Maybe it's cheaper to get uh, to grab from A instead of B. So maybe people will walk to A to grab the bike. But he's like, no, focus on this because this is new. I can find myself using it. We can find ourselves using it. And this could be possibly the solution that every city has been waiting for. Yeah, I can see like everybody taking the bikes from downtown to Ala Moana and then all your bikes at Ala Moana. So you say, hey, Pig and the Lady will give you a free dessert right. if you bring one of these bikes back. I totally kind of go for that. Although you'd probably pick up as many calories as you've burned off. But see, there's an incentive to use the bike instead of <laughs> the bus. That's true. We're talking to Jonas Vibel, Nicole Horry, Josh Weldon, Evelyn Pernia, and George Lee about the Reboot, the Commute event. It's a full house here, and if you have an idea that perhaps a developer or a designer or a sign hardware hacker could build for you, we'd love to hear from you at 941-3689 or from the Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. Now, George, your solution is also something that I think anyone can identify with. <laughs> I certainly had to deal with it uh, on Monday at the uh, Memorial Lantern floating. It was quite mad because it's trying to find parking. So tell us, what was your uh, innovative idea? Yeah, so uh, we are at Parkama. We uh, had this idea for just you know creating an app that would tell you whether you could park in a spot or not. Uh, so like you pull up the app, you know you park your car, you pull up the app, and it would be red if you couldn't park there, or it would be green if you could park there. And if you could park there, it would there'd be a countdown timer to tell you how much time you had left. You know, if it was red, then it would be a countdown timer that would tell you when that spot would open up. And we got this idea because, well, we had we went to one of the pre-events, and uh, Mark Wong said, you know, what data do you want uh, from us? And so Alan Salidam, uh, one of the other developers, um, he just came up and said, okay, I got a hard one. I want the parking signs data. And so, like, the tollway zones, the you can park here, like, tollway between 3.30 and 5.30 and, you know, 6.30 and 8.30 in the morning. Um, and so we kind of didn't think that would actually come through. And we were like Friday night, we were talking and we were looking through some of the data points and we were like, hey, we actually, like Mark actually provided us with some of this data. Uh, it was only for Chinatown, of course, and it was, it was limited, but we thought that we could build a uh, kind of this crowdsource platform. We would seed the data using that data from Mark Wong. And then in the future, like, you know, if we continue working on our app, there would be a form where people like they could park 
um, people would park. And if we didn't have it inside of our database, you could submit like when people could park there, when the tollway zone would be. And we could add that to our database, and we could eventually build out like an entire map for downtown or the entire island. So, how would you? Um, how would? Uh, how are you incorporating the information on the sign and translating that to how it might impact the, you know, let's say the parking that's that's around that area? I mean, how? What? What are you visually transposing from the sign to something that somebody can sort of visually look at the parking? Right. Right. Parking so. Space? So what Mark Wong actually provided was is actually in a text format, the actual text of the signs, huh. and um, which is kind of crazy. I mean, think about it because I don't think the city has a comprehensive database of all the signs around the entire island. Right. But what he provided us was the actual text on the signs. So we had a, um, one of our other members, William, he was uh, doing a lot of data processing, just kind of looking through all of the text in these signs, figuring out, okay, when can you park here? We created a new API kind of format for that. Mm -hmm. And then um, another friend, another friend, um, Tony, uh, he came up with a design. Uh, we had my friend Russell did a lot of the front end. I did some of the kind of back end, kind of like algorithms kind of thing. We also had some students from Dev League also helping out, Brandon and Brad. So yeah, it was a very good team effort. Well, you know, I, I have to say, and I think nobody would disagree, that no parking signs are perhaps the most complicated things that city governments put together. In fact, I just saw that there was a hackathon to solve that problem. I think it was in San Francisco. They came out with this beautiful, simple solution using icons. It just happens to be a six-foot-tall sign. So <laughs> trying to sort out what it means, I can certainly understand. Anybody driving down um, South King Street can see that there's always one or two people who didn't know that they couldn't park in front of Ilani Palace at 3.30, and they're getting towed away. So so untangling that, uh, maybe the city could be a source, and it sounds like you're also looking at crowdsourcing that information as well. So uh, I think that's pretty cool. So I could use your app and say, I want to go to the Capitol. Where can I park and for how long? Right. So in the future, like, I mean, right now, we only have the ability to, like, tell you when you get there, like, if this is a, an available spot or not. But as, soon, as we start building up this database, um, we will be able to tell you, like, you could start planning your trip. You could be, like oh, like, I'm going to this place, uh, can I park here? And as we gather more and more data and people actually start checking in, um, we're doing, like, similar to, like, Foursquare. We're providing, like, points. We're kind of gamifying it a little bit. But in the future, like, when more and more people are using it, we can start using all that data to figure out how many spots are, approximately how many spots are inside of an area just based on all of this data that we have, mm -hmm. and then start providing percentages. It's like, okay, like somebody checked, like three cars checked in here, they've been, and there's a two-hour limit, and uh, you're coming in, we know that there's about, we think there's about five spots just based on historical data, so you have a decent chance of mm -hmm. actually getting a spot. And I, I think getting to that level would be... Quite I'm also amazing. curious, so you know, from a geolocation standpoint, I mean, if you're driving around and you're kind of coming into an area and you're looking at uh, an open parking space, but you're not sure like if you're within the time period or outside of the time period, does your app automatically kind of tell you, okay, here's a sign response that's that's uh, has a jurisdiction for this particular parking area because of the geolocation? Right. So yeah, the geolocation right now would tell you like. Right now, we're just telling you, can you park there or not? We don't have that. Uh, we're not actually displaying any um, text or anything. And in the future, we probably won't have actual sign data. But mm. we are saying, okay, this is a spot. You can park here for two hours. Or this is not a spot, but it would open up mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. 
three or four hours or at eight o'clock or whatever. Very cool. Well, I definitely want to hear more about some of these solutions and, of course, new ideas that might have come up. We also would appreciate your calls. If you've got a question or an idea for a transportation app, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. But we will be right back over the short break to continue our conversation about the Reboot the Commute Hackathon with Jonas Fabel, Nicole Horry, Josh Weldon, Evelyn Pernia, and George Lee. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. With coal-fired power plants comes coal ash. And sometimes with coal ash come spills and slides and leaks and problems. It's not nearly as bad a water as you would think it would or as other people have led the residents to believe it is. I'm Kai Rizdal. Next time on Marketplace, when disaster becomes part of the economy, it's from APM. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe. heard the forecast, Hawaii could see up to eight tropical cyclones this hurricane season, June through November. And we all know what happened last summer. Next on The Conversation, we'll talk the science behind the forecast. That's tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, and he's Ryan Ozawa. And, of course, we're talking to Jonas Vibel, Nicole Horry, George Lee, Josh, Josh, Weldon and Evelyn Pernia, and of course, uh, did I mention Jonas Vibel? Yes, I did. So this, that's everybody. We're all packed in to the studio, and we're having a great time. And of course, we're talking about uh, Reboot the Commute and all the applications that were built uh, during this hackathon that happened last week. And of course, if you have a comment or question, feel free to give us a call. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome, uh, let's see, Tina from Kaka'ako. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Hi. Um, my question is for Joshua and Evelyn regarding the bike share application. I think it's a really great way to get the local community involved with, uh, you know, decreasing the traffic in Hawaii. Um, I would hate to see us lose the number one spot as, as the worst traffic in America, but, you know, win some, lose some. But I just wanted to ask, uh, Josh and Evelyn, as students, in what way do you plan on having UH Manoa participate in providing incentives or deals to the local community to sustain the bike supply at UH? Oh, that's a great that's a great question. And um, Evelyn, for for your benefit, I mean, the the question kind of revolves around how does uh, how do you think UH might get involved with providing some incentives to help with the traffic? But both of you guys, I mean, Josh, you heard it, so go for it. Right, right. So um, we've actually been talking about that a lot because we're students ourselves. And I think um, there's plenty of businesses, definitely um, trucks, uh, food trucks on um, in uh, or at UH. Mm-hmm. And I can see, I mean, everyone goes to eat the street and they're completely involved in the community. And these trucks travel around everywhere. So they're definitely candidates to utilize the app and give out the deals. So we could definitely, and not only that, but Ben was pointing out that he wants to put a lot of bikes at UH Manoa because 
there's a lot of traffic when it comes to students. There's limited parking. Like uh, I believe if you don't get parking on the first day at UH when it comes out, then you're you're left out. And a lot of people don't know that. So definitely the incoming freshmen, they're they're left trying to hop on the bus. So we're all about the first and the last mile of your day. So when you get off the bus or hopefully in the future, the rail, we want you to utilize the bike. And um, if you can have an added incentive to grab from another rack that is empty, that's where we come in. And so I believe uh, I can go and say that, that Ben is looking forward to putting bikes at UH and hopefully us as students will be able to just grab a bike and head downtown, to, or not downtown, but just down that, that long hill to get a bite to eat instead of having to uh, stick to our local stops <laughs> at mm-hmm. uh, UH. Well, no, that's great. And th- uh, Tina, thanks for that question. You know, one of the things that I, I kind of wanted to um, explore is uh, what's next? Because you guys all have some great ideas and I'm really proud to have you know you guys all on the show uh but you know as as typical sort of hackathons occur they happen for the weekend and and for the most part you know one of the problems is that they sort of end and they disappear and you know we kind of wonder like what happened to all those great ideas so maybe uh since we're we're talking to you uh josh and evelyn i mean what what do you guys have in mind for follow-up to the the you know the application that you guys developed well, you can find out more information at energyaccelerator.com slash events. And if you're also interested, we're going to be at Startup Paradise Demo Day this Friday at 3 p.m. Oh, so you guys are part of the the, um, the demos, the pitches? Uh... Oh, I wish. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, we get to just, uh, we just get to show up, wave our hands, say that we worked really hard last week. And um, if, there's going to be hopefully potential investors there we'll probably meet back up with ben and see where we go next because i know he was really excited to uh work with us and really get this app going as a possible solution mm-hmm. and you know what when you're talking about repositioning of these shared vehicles bikes or cars car to go aaron landry i think you should why not tackle both I, I help move this car from uh back to downtown or vice versa so that's good people can look for you there now george for your parking uh, project it certainly sounds like you need a lot of data and collecting that data is probably the biggest part of what lies ahead what do you see this as something that you want to persist in building going forward or was it just a weekend fling a weekend fling you know, it, it's kind of crazy because, you know, we came in on Friday. Uh, I had no idea what we were going to do. Most of us didn't ha- really have a good idea for, um, you know, what exactly our project was going to be. And it was right around 9 o'clock when we were looking at the data. Like, we decided that this was going to be the thing that we were going to do. Uh, we pitched it, and fortunately we won. Um, so, I mean, to answer the question, I don't really know yet. I think we're, since the event, I mean, we're all busy. I'm a full-time software engineer. A lot of my other friends are either full-time software engineers or uh, going through blue startups or doing uh, doing their own things. So uh, we honestly haven't had a lot of time to kind of digest and talk about it. But I think that because we are part of this big, like, hackerspace community, high-capacity uh, and there's a lot of other interested people. There's, you know, maybe some of the Dev League students that are on our team can kind of take over mm-hmm, it. But mm-hmm. I think that we, the community itself, I hope that it doesn't, we don't let it die, that there will be somebody to take it over mm-hmm, and we'll be cool. there to support whoever wants to do it. Now, before I jump uh, to our uh, caller on the line, Nicole, what is, what, what's on the horizon for your application or your Great sign. Yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> well, as Ryan mentioned, this is a continuation of something I'd previously worked on. Han Accelerator. Yeah, with Jason Axelson mm-hmm. and Jill Misawa. And uh, I'm just continuing it now, um, working with other high-capacity members as well. 
So it's wonderful to have High Capacity, uh, which is a local makerspace, working out of uh, Mineral Innovation Center mm-hmm. as a resource for me working on this. So I'm not, you know, trying to figure out the circuits on my own. Mm-hmm. And um, I am, you know, still trying to uh, figure out how to make it as efficient and robust as possible. There's some ways you could probably do it that'd be, you know, pretty easy. But I do want to make sure that it, if we say, put a bunch of these around or maybe even take these to other cities, that it would be, you know, the ideal solution. Maybe there's a Kickstarter project in there somewhere. <laughs> you know, uh, in the meantime, we want to welcome uh, Coco from Kiki to Bite Marsh Cafe. Welcome to the show. Aloha. How's it? Hi. What's can you hear me? Yes, I sure can. Sweet. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm a student at UH too, and I, I mean, I love the bike share program, but like I know that UH campus is notorious for bike thievery, and especially like the greater inner city of um, Honolulu, like Waikiki and um, this general area. I wonder if there's going to be some kind of like preventative kind of thing that's attached to this app, or if there's something, because I know we have tracking for the bikes when you, you sign up with your credit card, but like if there's something that will help with that kind of problem that we're facing. Okay, okay. So, uh, Coco, so <clears throat> the question basically is, you know, is is for bike sharing, uh, are there some thoughts behind security for, I guess, protecting bikes because oftentimes they may get stolen? I know you guys aren't representative of bike share, the you know, the organization. And, yes. and of course, maybe we should get Ben here to talk about that, but... I mean, just some general thoughts on on your mind as to, in terms of you know if you're if there's a lot of bikes going back and forth out of UH, uh, isn't this like a a fertile ground for <laughs> for thievery? Well, it's interesting because we're in this new generation. It's, it's the information age. You can get information any way you want, and um, I'm not too sure if he's asking for uh, for just bicyclists in general or bike share, but um, for both, no matter bike share or not, like adding GPS to everything is it's just happening. So like, find your phone. Like when your phone is stolen, you mm-hmm. like it'd be nice if there's like find your bike or right, right. or even find find the share bike when it gets stolen. So I think that's a not only like an interesting question, but an interesting new idea. How can we stop like mo- moped th- uh, th- or thievery, if that's thievery. how you say it. thievery, thievery. Yes. Uh, yeah. um, or or even bike theft? And I I think I think that's actually a really good problem to point out, and I I think that's another hack that we should get to. Well, um, I think part of what you're saying when you say the new generation ownership is sort of the thing that's being disrupted. Maybe you don't need to own a car anymore if you have self-driving cars or you have car sharing. Maybe you don't need to own a bike to get stolen if there are is a robust bike sharing system in your city. Jonas, th- this big picture thinking is essentially what the Energy Accelerator wants to encourage. What do you see for your organization and this event as the next chapter? Uh, absolutely, yeah. They say access, not ownership. And I know uh, both bike share and car share are strong believers in this. I want to point out from the Energy Accelerator side that if uh, people have ideas and uh, um, are entrepreneurs and want to go ahead with these ideas, such as uh, these three excellent teams here, that uh, there is support in town. And that's what we do with the Energy Accelerator. 
So we are an organization that gives them enough funding so that they can keep these ideas alive. And then we provide the partnership, link them up with the people in the city and decision makers to make things happen and create an ecosystem so that ideas like this can grow. And that's our whole purpose. So is so there a possibility I, that a startup, a transportation startup would be in a future cohort of the Energy Accelerator? We hope so very much, but I'm looking <laughs> at the people here in the studio to see if maybe they will apply. Our applications are open until 2nd of July. Ooh, nice, nice. Yeah, we'll be out there. You know, it, you know, you can't have somebody like throwing money at you without, you know, you guys starting a company up. So I think I think Jonas is putting the word out there that, you know, he's ready to, you know, maybe help finance some of you guys uh, your ideas. Now, Josh and Evelyn, we know we can find more information at uh, the Energy Accelerator website slash events, or you can go to the demo day to look for you. But, George, if somebody wanted to look at the park uh, parking app that you built or maybe see that they could contribute something, where can they find more information on that? Um, yeah, so the app right now is a kind of a native app, but we have a GitHub repository. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's under my friend's account at the moment, so it's github.com slash rbvea slash karma, C-A-R-M-A. And there you could you know, check out the repository, see what we built. All right. And we'll have all these links on our show notes at bitemarkscafe.org. Nicole, now I know you can go to the Mono Innovation Center and see this sign because every time I go, I marvel at its bright blinking lights. Uh, but if somebody wanted to connect with you, if somebody had their own ideas for an LED, maybe Arduino-powered street sign, how can they connect with you or find more information? I don't have a website for it currently, but if you um, come to High Capacity, you can check it out. Or uh, take a look at highcapacity.org, H-I-capacity.org, and uh, I'll be putting updates there. Sounds great. And Oh, wait, Nicole. Oh, whoa, whoa, one whoa, last whoa. thing. One last thing, separate from this, but you also are an <laughs> organizer of a great event called Domain Night. And we might have you back to talk about it again, but when is that if you're a domain name hoarder? That's happening on June 8th in Chinatown. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, just a week and a half away. Very good. Okay, so we got... Jonas Vibel, Nicole Horry, Josh Walden, Evelyn Pernia, and George Lee. And we want to thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you you very much. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll learn about the growing challenge of securing our networks and creating a cybersecurity framework. And of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, giggling at us, crammed in here and sitting in each other's laps. And our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And of course, we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's one of my favorite jazz pianists. Uh, His name is Keith Jarrett and a song called Summertime. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.